Well, good evening. My name is Stephen. I'm on staff here at Grace, and the fact that I'm back up here this week means either I... I was going to say either I did well or probably more likely Pastor Jim has just wanted another week of vacation, so I think it's probably uh, really what's going on. But let's go ahead and, and pray this evening. Lord, we, we're grateful that you are a God who loves us. And while we are taking two weeks to talk about your love, Lord, we really could take forever to talk about it. You are a loving Father, and without your love, Lord, we would be ruined. And so, God, I pray that you would reveal more of your love to us, Lord, that we wouldn't just have a general sense that you love the world and love us, but a specific sense that you love us that we are your beloved God, that you have chosen us in Christ. Lord, make that real tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, we, if you weren't here, we talked about, do you really know the love of God? And we looked at the life of Jonah. Jonah thought he knew God's love, but it turned out that he didn't know the height, the breadth, the length and the depth of God's love. Jonah's construct of love didn't include his fiercest enemies, the Ninevites. And so God brought him to a place to get an up-close and personal view of his own love. We were challenged by Jonah's story to reconstruct our view of love to encompass our enemies and to make room for the fact that God oftentimes uses our own discomfort to show us his love. And so tonight I'd like to, for us to examine the question, how do I know that God loves me? I think many of us have an understanding that God loves us. Maybe if you grew up in church, you've heard that God loves you. We know the stories. We know Jesus came down on this earth and died for us. But how we live is often different in reality to what we think that we know. In my freshman year at Virginia Tech, um, I had an encounter with God's love. I grew up in a, in a Christian home. Both my parents loved Jesus. So I got saved at a very young age. I got baptized at a young age. I got filled with the Holy Spirit here in this house. And it was God's faithfulness, it is God's faithfulness to me that uh, Many of you I've known for a long time. And despite, of the, um, despite the amazing teaching here and being taught the word of God and growing up in that environment, I had a performance mentality when it came to the love of God. I felt that God, I knew God loved me up here, but day to day, how I felt about myself was determined by whether I'd read my Bible that day, whether I was living right, what, what people thought about me, what, whether I was putting on an image that um, I thought was reflective of me. And so I realized that I didn't know God's love. I didn't know the depths of God's love. I didn't know that God really loved me. It wasn't based on my performance. It wasn't based on what I did, that I was a human being and not a human doing. And I had this moment freshman year of college where this campus pastor and his wife were praying over me. And as they were praying for me, this woman shared a 
his wife shared a, a picture, and it was me as a little boy reaching up to dunk a basketball. And I was trying as hard as I could to dunk that basketball, and I, I couldn't do it. And God lifted, not much has changed, by the way, but <laughs> God lifted me up, up to him, and allowed me to dunk that basketball. And she said, it's a picture of God's love for you, that you don't have to strive, you don't have to get up to God, you don't have to perform, you don't have to try really hard, that God comes down to us in Jesus Christ and lifts us up and has seated us in the heavenly places. So tonight, I don't want to presume on anything, but I'd imagine that there are some of us here who intellectually we know God loves us, but our reality that we live day after day, we don't know God's love. And so I want to give you five ways that you can know that God loves you. In relationships, oftentimes the more examples we have of that person's love for us, the more secure we feel. If any of you are married, you you know that you can't just tell your wife or your husband one time, I love you, and think it's going to go okay the next 10 years of your marriage. you got to continually say it because we need to be reminded continually of our love for each other. The more examples we have, the more tangible examples of love that we have, the more security we have in that relationship. And so I want to give you a, five ways to know that God loves you from 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 through 12. You have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12. And while you turn there, let me give you some of the backdrop here. John is writing to what we believe are either a church or churches in a region or a city called Ephesus. And he's writing to warn the church members of some people in their midst that are a danger to them. He calls them false prophets, deceivers, and antichrists. These teachers oppose the spirit of God in their teaching and they're deceiving members of the church. And so the last third of John's first letter, he gives the the congregation some tests on how they can know whether a teacher or someone really is a follower of Christ. He lays out three things. One, that true believers must believe that Jesus truly is the Christ that has come in the flesh and that this belief will work itself out in righteousness. Meaning if you believe in Christ, if you have a saving relationship in Jesus, your life is going to be completely different. You're going to walk in the light. You're no longer going to walk in darkness. You're not going to keep on sinning. God has given you victory, not because of anything you've done, but because God lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. He empowers you to live a holy life. And so if someone isn't living a life that is pleasing to God consistently, meaning they're habitually sinning over and over again without any repentance, it's an indicator that they probably do not have a relationship with God. And then John turns to love, that we'll know that we are disciples by our love for each other. And that is the subject of this passage, God's love towards us and our love in response towards others. And 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. 
In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John starts this part of his letter with the word beloved. He's addressing his church. It's a popular expression of John in these letters. He uses the word beloved seven times. And to understand his heart, you have to understand the person of John, who he was. John was a fisherman. He was one of Jesus' disciples. We believe he was the youngest of the disciples. This fisherman was not exactly during that time known for their religious upbringing and their study of God. Yet Jesus chose him as one of his disciples. Him and his brother James were given the name or the name Sons of Thunder. Sounds pretty uh, prolific, sounds pretty amazing, but really uh, it didn't come from the best circumstance. James and John were in a Samaritan village. Jesus is preaching the gospel, and the people in that village didn't receive it. And so Jesus is thinking, okay, let's move on to the next village. But John is full of zeal. He's not going to let these people off that easily. He says uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? John is that friend in your group who uh, has like kind of like anger that just comes out of nowhere. You know, you go to a restaurant and your friend says, I don't like the way that waiter looked at us. What are you talking about, man? You just walked into a restaurant. Like, waiter comes over, spills a, spills a glass of water accidentally. I knew it, man. She flipped that water over, so I'm about to flip this table. I, I have a friend like this. I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience. But John had this anger. He had this zeal. No compassion for the people that he was ministering to. Later on, uh, or in Mark chapter 10, I think John had a revelation with his brother that Jesus was not just your average guy, and he recognizes that as one of his disciples, he might have, you know, the upper hand and might be able to ask of Jesus what he wants, like kind of like a, a lucky genie or something like that. So he goes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What an interesting opening to a conversation. And Jesus is kind of playing along, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And, and John says, grant us, me and my brother, to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Oh, okay. thought you were going to ask for something. I mean, John was oblivious to how other people, his disciples, would feel. He's just thinking of himself for his glory. And yet, Jesus invites him as a part of his inner circle. We see kind of the, the most uh, private moments that Jesus had with his disciples. He took Peter, James, and John on the Mount Transfiguration when Jesus was glorified. There was John. During, right before Jesus is about to be crucified, he goes to the garden to pray, and John is one of the three in that garden with Jesus. John doesn't mention himself by his name in his gospel that he wrote but he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And over the course of his time with Jesus, the love of God began to transform his heart. 
We see a picture of John moments before Jesus died, leaning his breast or his head against Jesus' breast. He had a tender relationship with Christ. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked at John and said, Behold your mother. Out of all the disciples, Jesus entrusted his very own mother with John. He was transformed by the love of God over the course of Jesus' ministry. So now as he addresses the church, he calls them beloved. And he's not speaking merely as an intellectual who's never experienced this love. He's speaking as one who's been changed by the love of God, who considers himself the one whom Jesus loved. And he speaks to the members of the church there as God's beloved. You know, you and I are God's beloved. We are his children. A lot of times when we pray to God, we don't pray as often as we should because we don't know how God feels about us. We address God with different titles, Father, King, Savior, Master, but do you know God addresses you as his son, as his daughter, as his beloved. A lot of us have names that we've heard from maybe people on the playground or coworkers or family members, names that stick with us, that when we think of ourselves, we think of a person who's dumb or stupid. Maybe you define yourself as divorced, old. And yet, I want you to hear tonight the way John addresses you and the way God sees you as his beloved. How do we know that God loves us? First, by the name that he's called us in Jesus Christ, we are his children, we are his beloved. As one who's been loved by God, John writes to his beloved church that they should love each other. And we'll dive into this a little bit more, but underlying this command to love each other is something that's implied, that the church can do this. They can actually love each other. Now, that seems, that seems pretty simple to us because, you know, we, we hear love each other and we go around practicing that love. But just think for a second how miraculous that is. That God, that John would tell his congregation to love each other. The very people, all of us, who at one, one part were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were far from God. Dead people have no ability to love anyone. We were followers of the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature children of wrath, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And yet now, God has called us to love each other. The fact that we can actually obey this command proves that we must have received this ability to love from someone outside of ourselves. And that person is God. He is the source of love. John says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This ability to love only comes to those who have been transformed by God. Love only comes to those who are children of God, who've been born of God, who know God. Conversely, anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. You may know, you may be thinking of people who aren't Christians who love, who are married and in a loving relationship or have children. That's not the type of love John is talking about here. There's a love that all of us have 
just by nature of being created in the image of God, we have some capacity to love. But the type of love that John is talking about is a love that doesn't make sense to the world. It's a love that even when your brother spits in your face, you turn the other cheek. When he hits you in the face, you turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile for that brother or sister. I worked at a Christian sports camp for two years where they would bus in inner city kids and we would do this camp. And one of the ways that we would teach them uh, and instruct them was when they did something wrong, we would, we would discipline them. Not in the way that you might discipline your son or daughter, but if push-ups. They swore they did 10 push-ups. But so it wasn't that we were just kind of domineering over them. We would do the push-ups with them. We did it together. And I had this young man named Kevin who had a terrible family situation, never knew his mom, never knew his dad. Grandparents took him in, neglected him. He showed up to the camp with only one pair of clothes, and he was just angry at the world. He was angry at everybody. He didn't want anything to do with anyone, let alone me, his uh, counselor from the suburbs of Ashburn, Virginia, (laughs) didn't elicit too much fear in his eyes, let's just say. And over the course of the week, I mean, we had to do 500 push-ups. I mean, you could tell just how big I am because of... <laughs> not, no, not really. But um, by the end of the week, I was exasperated. I mean, this, this guy, I mean, he was just demanding so much of our attention. And, and then I had an idea. After the 30th time of saying a cuss word, I said, Kevin, you got 30 push-ups. And just as, as he was about to go do the push-ups, I said, hold up, man, I'm going to do them for you. So Kevin's like, okay, cool, man, cool. You do those push-ups. And, you know, I'm doing the push-ups, and, and he's enjoying every moment watching his camp counselor do his push-ups. And I could do about 50 push-ups, you know, maybe not as many then. But I got to about 29, and my arms were shaking a little bit. I get to 30, and uh, he thinks everything's good. It's over. And I start, I keep going, 31. He goes, what are you doing? I said, man, I did my push-ups. Now I got to do yours. And, you know, I'm milking this thing for all it's worth. I'm shouting and screaming. I'm calling on the name of God as I do these push-ups. My arms are wobbling and, and he's in tears. Because for the first time in his life, in just this small, insignificant way that wasn't small and insignificant to him, he had experienced the love of God. A love that didn't make sense. And I remember as a high schooler moment, I had a season of probably probably about six months where I had just doubts about God. And I remember my youth pastor coming, picking me up, and just driving me around one night for about an hour. He was going about 55 miles per hour in my neighborhood. I don't know know why you're in a rush, man. We're not going anywhere. But he he was just ministering to me, the love of God. And that's so different than the world knows how to love. Because the love that we have as Christians doesn't expect anything in return. It's a self-sacrificing, self-denying type of love. And that is what John calls us, the Spirit of God calls us to do, is to love. That God is love. That is who he is. Everything that he does is love. When he created, it was in love. When he judges, it's in love. When he rules, It's in love. When he speaks to us and answers our prayer, it's in love. Everything that God does is an expression of his love. He is love. 
And the fact that he commands us means we're capable of obeying this command. And the fact that we can obey this command means we've received this love from him. How do you know that God loves you? Because of the command he's given you, a command that you can do to love one another. John continues in verse 9, And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. I went on a missions trip to South Africa, and I never forget when I came home, there was a, a husband that uh, saw his wife in the airport. And this woman sprinted across the airport and jumped up into his arms. And there was a brother next to me, kind of an old, wise saint who said, man, there's nothing greater than your wife jumping in your arms. <laughs> oh, man. And I just thought, wow, what an example of love. Something about distance being shortened. That this man was on the other side of the ocean, but as soon as that distance was closed, all of a sudden that love overflowed. And we talk about the distance of love. How about the distance that Jesus made to get down from heaven down to this earth? That God sent his only son into the world. He took on flesh. He was born of a virgin in a manger in a stable. He went through all the things that, of pain and, and hunger and crying and separation that we as humans endure. He gave up all of his privilege in heaven to come down to this world for us. You want evidence that God loves you? How about the distance that Christ came for you? He did this so that we might live through him, that we might have eternal life. It's how much Jesus loves you, that he would come to this earth to give you eternal life with the Father Number three, how do we know God loves us is the distance he came for us. John says in verse 10, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that we have loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we have loved God. Many, of the to- many times our insecurity about the way God feels about us is rooted in the fact that we think it's up to us. We have to love God. And if our love with God is uncertain, if one day we wake up and we don't love him as much as yesterday, then we're not sure how he feels about us. And yet, this is what the verse says. It's not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. He has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not just that Jesus came to this earth, but it's why he came to this earth. The enemy wants to get our eyes on ourselves. But the reality is, that Jesus has come, or Jesus came to die for us, to be that propitiation, that while we were still sinners, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, Christ died for us. This word propitiation means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. So God, in all the wrath that was supposed to be directed towards us because of our sin, we were by nature objects of wrath, was directed towards Christ on the cross. And now instead of that wrath that we deserve, instead we get the grace of God. 
We get to be sons and daughters of God. We get to be forgiven of our sins. How do we know God loves us? It's the death that Jesus died for you and for I and for me. You may be thinking, well, I haven't seen God and I didn't see Jesus while he was on this earth. Is there any other way to know God's love? I'm, I'm going to give you five just in case these four don't work for you. Maybe the fifth one will hammer it home for you. But in verse 12, it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. No one has ever seen God. We have recorded in Scripture examples of theophanies where people receive revelations by which God made himself visible to the eye. Think of Moses on Sinai or Isaiah in the temple where they saw God, but not, they didn't see God completely. They saw an aspect of God, and the aspect of God that they saw ruined them. And yet, we can know the love of God through God dwelling inside of us. We may not be able to see God or Jesus Christ, but we have the Holy Spirit living in us, dwelling in our hearts. My wife and I were, uh, we were a part of a small group, and I'll never forget going to this family's home. And every week, despite the fact that they had young kids, their room, their, their house was immaculate. And I'm thinking, like, what is the secret? Like, how do you do this? I need, I need the revelation. I need to sit at your feet. And one day, I think it was probably the eighth or ninth week, we were having a small group there. I accidentally opened the wrong door. I thought it was the bathroom. <laughs> and really, it was a closet. I was attacked by a rubble coming from, from the closet of toys and clothes. And, and I look over at the, at the, at the wife, who's absolutely just horrified. <laughs> and I look at her, and she looks at me, and we both kind of smile like, yep, that's pretty much everybody's reality. We try to put on a, a, an image, and that's part of hospitality is, is cleaning and, and doing that thing. But, you know, you think about God dwelling inside of our hearts, how messy, how messed up our lives are on the inside, and yet God chooses to take residence in our home. You know, many of us, we think that we have to clean up our house in order to let God in. But the reality is we just got to let the front door open. Let God get inside your, your life and watch as he begins to unlock different rooms. All of a sudden, he wants to be Lord over what you watch on TV. He's up in your living room. And then he wants to talk about purity, and so he's in your bedroom. And then he's, into, he's in the family room. He's, he starts taking over every part of your life. The more you surrender, the more the Holy Spirit has residence in your life. And all it takes is to start with surrender. God, come and inhabit my life. And he begins to take control over every room and every aspect and transform you and sanctify you, make you more holy so that others would see Jesus Christ in you. The series Knowing God is more than just a mental ascent exercise, meaning we don't just, we're not just going over these attributes of God over the course of this year so that we can say, okay, God is love, God is omnipotent, got it, check mark, check mark, check mark. It's got to go from the theoretical to the practical. It's got to transform our lives on the day-to-day. God has 
revealed his love to us in this passage by the name that he's called us, his beloved, and the command he's given us to love one another and the distance that Jesus went for us, the death that Christ died for us, the home the Holy Spirit has made inside of us. And now John says we ought to, in light of this love, love one another. He says it twice. Beloved, let us love one another. And then again in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God, who is infinitely higher than us, was willing to come down to us to love us, then how hard should it be for us to love each other on an equal playing field? If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now that word perfected means completed. And my wife is a hero in that she runs half marathons. So I don't know if you've ever seen those stickers of people who are driving. We don't have one of those because we don't want the whole world to know that we, anyway. Um, but I've never seen any of those stickers say 10.1. You got a half marathon that's 13.1. You got a full marathon that's 26.2 miles. Nobody ever has a, a 22.3. Why? Because we celebrate a completed race. And God wants to bring the love that we have to a completion. Loving God, knowing God's love is half, half of the race. And it's thankfully half the race that will get you into heaven. If you believe in Christ and you turn from your sin, you have a relationship with God, you'll be in heaven. But it's only half of the race. The other half is loving others. Loving others doesn't get you into heaven, but it's the natural outworking of a faith in Jesus Christ. It completes your love, turning to those, your brothers and sisters, your church, and loving each other unconditionally. We can't go around each other when Christ has come right to us. You know, I was reading uh, this morning about, in Philippians 4, verse 2, about Eudoia, sorry, Eudoia and Sintich. You may not know much about these two. The only thing that we hear about them in Scripture is that Paul entreats them to agree in the Lord. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It doesn't say what these women were disagreeing about. I don't know. Maybe it was the color of the carpet. Maybe it was something a little more significant, like where, what route they should take on, to the gospel. Scripture doesn't say. But when we get to heaven, we're going to ask Eudoia and Sintich what that disagreement was about. <laughs> I mean, that's, what, that's all we hear about them is their disagreement in the Lord. And yet for many of us, we forsake loving each other because of a disagreement. We let an offense dictate how we treat each other. And yeah, our names are written in the the Lamb's book of life and that should motivate us to work through those differences, to work through those disagreements, to forgive each other, to love each other and to practice a love that's gonna go on for eternity in heaven. I I felt today that there were two types of people here. One who just need a greater revelation of God's love and maybe two people here who know God's love, but 
that second part of loving one another has been a barrier to you. Maybe you have a long-standing feud amongst somebody that was in your small group. Maybe it was something that was said in a sermon. Maybe it's feeling overlooked in a particular ministry. Let me encourage you, as John encouraged his church, to love one another, to fight through offenses, to work out relationships, to go back, to communicate, to try again, to work through these things, to pray through these things. Because in loving one another, we demonstrate the love of God. This is how we make an invisible God visible. We love one another. And so this evening, I'd like for all of us to stand as I close I want to just pray for the love of God to flood our hearts and for offenses to be broken off, lies that we believed about who we are, names that have stuck to come off in the name of Jesus, for relationships to be restored. And so I want you right now just to ask God, don't be a spectator in this moment but to ask God to reveal more of his love to you, to shatter the lies that you've believed, to break down the offenses. Holy Spirit, right now, we're asking you that you would reveal more of the Father's heart to us. Lord, that we are loved by you. God, I speak to any lie that we've agreed with. God, God, any name that we've accepted as a part of our identity that isn't from you, Lord, right now, pour out a revelation from heaven that we are your sons and we are your daughters in Jesus Christ. God, that you have not given us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have given us a spirit of adoption as sons by by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Tonight, Lord, we cry out, Abba, Father. God, give us a revelation of your heart, Daddy. Reveal your Father's heart to us in a fresh way. Come on, cry out to God for that revelation, not just a head knowledge, but a deep experience of God's love that you would know the breadth and the height and the length and the depth of his love in Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you for that love. In Jesus' name, amen.